Um, the Bible reading today that Ruth is going to read in a minute is from the book of Esther. Uh, but it's not on the screen this morning, so you've got to just listen. Oh, you know, the old-fashioned way of listening. So let's hope that you can do that well. But I'm just going to introduce uh, this reading. Um, familiar probably to many of you. Great little book in the Old Testament. So Esther was young and very beautiful. King Xerxes ruled over the kingdom at that time. That, and his kingdom stretched from India to Egypt. But trouble was coming from the Greeks. So the king held a conference over 180 days. That's some conference. And at the end of the conference, they had a seven-day feast in the palace garden, all very posh. When they had all had quite a bit to drink over the seven days, the king sent for his wife, Vashti. She was also very beautiful, but she refused to come. She wasn't going to be their entertainment. Women's lived for you right back then. How embarrassing that was for the king. And he told her that she must never enter his presence again or she will be killed instantly. Mm. But the king regretted that after a bit because he quite liked Vashti. And the, but the king became very lonely as well. And someone suggested that he should hold a beauty contest. And the winner could become his wife. Mm. He quite liked the idea of that. So Esther, being very beautiful, was chosen along with many others to enter the contest. Esther had been left as an orphan, and she lived with her uncle, Mordecai. But Mordecai told her to keep their relationship and heritage a secret because they were Jews, and that would be liable to bring persecution. And we know the story that Esther won. She came first in the beauty contest. And also, not only did she become first, she became the king's favourite wife. He had lots of wives. And she was his favourite. Now, there's another character in this story called Haman. Haman was not a very nice man. In fact, Haman absolutely hated the Jews. But he was the king's high-ranking official. Very high, next to the king. So he went to the king... And he asked him to issue an edict to destroy all the Jews, literally to wipe all the Jews out. Mordecai got to hear about this because he used to come and see how Esther was getting on. And he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Right, continuing from Esther, chapter 4, reading verses 2 to 17. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no man clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes, when Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, 
assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact, exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told, her to, he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do you not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat, eat or drink for three days, night or day. I am my ways, my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Okay. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst us this morning, Lord in the way that only you can. Father, open our hearts and soften them again, we pray. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us afresh so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Ruth. Yeah, great story is Esther. It's only 10 chapters, and I hope that's whetted your appetite, and perhaps you'll go home and read it. Esther really needs to be read in one sitting, so it's good to make yourself comfortable, get your co coffee or glass of wine or whatever it is, and, uh, and sit and open the book of Esther. So Esther was literally, she went from orphan to queen, now, not many of us will probably have a similar story. 
Perhaps the most famous verse in that book of Esther was what Ruth read at the end. Who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. None of our lives are a mistake. God places us in the right place at the right time for his purposes and for his reasoning. And often we know nothing about that. Esther was a very ordinary Jewish girl who God used for his purposes and for his kingdom's glory. Interestingly, the book of Esther never mentions God at all. But we can see God's handiwork all over this story. I wonder if in looking back over your lives, you can see God's handiwork all over it. I can, and I hope you can too. Just this week, um, I felt God close to me. Um, Unfortunately, we were burdled on Wednesday evening. um, We'd gone down to Clevedon, to our house. We left at four o'clock and got back at quarter to ten. And because it was dark by then, and um, normally my neighbour would come in and put the lights on and and draw the curtains. We've got this arrangement, but I didn't think we'd be that late. And it, we, we were, you know, we were back when we were back. Anyway, we pulled up on the drive, and Anne and Mike next door came out. And uh, Mike said, "Oh, you left your patio doors open at the back." I thought, mm, "I didn't. I knew I hadn't." I thought, "Oh, we'd been burdled." And um, so we, all four of us went in. The, the door was locked, the front door, and we opened the key. And we've got a little table in the hall, and that drawer was open. And straight to I thought, yeah, yeah, we've been burdled. And it's not a very nice feeling. It's the second time it's happened to us. The other time was, what, 20-odd years ago. And um, we went into uh, the kitchen, and they'd got in through the kitchen door, this half... Double glazed door, half glass at the top and um, solid at the bottom. And they'd absolutely smashed this door so there was glass everywhere. And because it, you know, it splinters so finely, doesn't it? And um, the key was just on the side. So, you know, they could just smash the glass, get the key and off the go. And um, they hadn't, there was three rooms downstairs they hadn't been in. There were, it sounds like they were looking for gold and cash. And they didn't really find any, there's certainly no cash in the house. And um, I'd got a few pairs of nice-ish gold earrings that that, that went. Um, but Andy's best bike was in the bedroom. Who keeps the bike in the bedroom? And uh, that went. I mean, this bike is a really good bike. You can literally pick it up with one finger, so they, they wouldn't have had much trouble getting that. But, you know, you keep your bikes in the garage, don't you? You know, garage wasn't touched. But anyway, the bike went. And, um, and yeah, it was, a me- it was a mess, especially upstairs, all the drawers were, were turned out. Um, and the police were, were great, they came round and sympathised, and then forensics, actually, fingerprint guys came round the next day, so I was pretty impressed with that. Anyway, what I'm really saying, you know, the fact that Anne and Mike met us on the drive was, was wonderful, I was very grateful to that. And two things, my iPad was still there. Well, my life's on my iPad, 
And I know that some, it goes in the cloud somewhere, but I don't understand that. So, you know, what is this cloud? You know, I'd have, I would have absolutely hated the fact that my iPad had gone. They could have had anything else. And also my purse. They, they didn't find my purse. I keep my purse in this drawer. And they didn't find that, which is, thank you, God, because, I mean, the, what, there was £25 in there, but it was all your cards and the hassle, all the hassle of that. And I was just, oh, God, you are so amazing. You're so good. And, you know, I, whether it was one person or two, I don't know, and I prayed for them, and hopefully they found something of God's presence in our home. That's what I'm hoping. And so, so it was just that sense of, you know, God is always there. His handiwork is all over our lives, always. These things happen. You could say, well, he could have stopped the burglar. Well, yeah, but we don't go into that. It happened. Bad things happen. But I felt really fine and held and at peace about it all and very grateful for those two things. Um, and anyway, they went out the back patio doors, apparently, because the keys were in the doors. Easy access for them, easy escape. So they just went out there. Anyway, that's, that's that. So that was this week. So that was my week. Um, well, where was I? So our series is about ordinary people, extraordinary God. Now, we know that we are all ordinary. We are all ordinary people. Everybody's ordinary, but just God uses different people for different things. You know, we are ordinary people living out our lives in fellowship with one another the best we can. And as Christians, our neighbours are important and precious to us. And as ordinary folk... We can achieve nothing by ourselves. The Bible tells us that. We can do nothing in our own strength. It's all grace and it's all gift from our loving Heavenly Father. And I continue, I don't know about you, but I continue to find it astonishing that God uses ordinary people. I just do. To fulfill his purpose. I mean, look at Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. They don't, according to what we understand and believe, they don't come much more ordinary and I find it astonishing. But I want to look this morning, I want to turn it a bit round this morning, and I want to look at our extraordinary God, the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. God has no limit, limits in any area. In my Christian, this is a bit random, you'll have to just go with the flow and follow. In my Christian magazine this week, there's an article on UFOs. Do you remember about UFOs? It was big business, wasn't it, years ago? Unidentified flying objects. Well, apparently now they're known as UAPs. Unidentified anomalous phenomena. <laughs> Why do they make things complicated? And I'm sure we can all remember the film E.T. E.T., go home. Do you remember that? Yeah, lovely. You know, I don't know about you, but I've often wondered if God has created other species, you know, apart from us. And why not? Why would he not do that? Because, you know, all this universe that even our little finite brains can just about get our head round, you know, millions and millions, of, was it 93 million miles away is the sun? I don't understand that at all. But there's galaxies upon galaxies upon stars upon stars. Why just us on this tiny little planet? Don't know. Quite exciting, really. And there was Christians about, you know, thinking in this magazine about it. You know, why create just a, a, a huge universe and just put us in it on this tiny planet? You know, the extraordinariness of God just goes beyond. We have to expand our minds, don't we, to just take it all in. 
And you know, in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel mentions living creatures in chapter 1, which sounds to me a a bit like aliens, I must admit. So listen to this description. I'm going to read to you. Again, you're being read to a bit this morning. Right, so this is Ezekiel's vision. Right, he saw this. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with bright lights. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the centre of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each, each one had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the being beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, the face of an eagle at the back. Each had two pair of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them, and the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. Very interesting. As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels. This is interesting. Touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. So each of these creatures had a wheel. The wheels sparkled as if made of beryl. That's a gem. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. The rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening, and they were covered with eyes all around. So these wheels had eyes all around them. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upwards, the wheels went up too. The spirits of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upwards, the wheels rose up. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. I don't you think that sounds a bit alien? <laughs> I think that's amazing. You know, that that's in the Bible. Did you know that? Have you read that before? No. Where have you been? Ezekiel. Actually, Ezekiel is a, is a tricky book. Till you get to about verse 37, then it gets better. Because it's the bones. You know, the flesh gets on the bones. I think it's about 37, but that's in, that's in Ezekiel 1. I mean, just fascinating. You know, what a God. You know, it's, it's just amazing. We often limit God, don't we? Our extraordinary God is so extraordinary. 
We limit him perhaps because we cannot quite grasp it. The awesome enormity of him. This should invoke within us a holy fear. Can you imagine seeing wheels with eyes in? All rims with eyes. I just think, oh, that's amazing. I think Isaiah with the cherubim and seraphim, they had eyes under all the wings. So the wings sort of flew up like that. And as the wings came up, there was all eyes all over them. I mean, we have got such a, 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 an adventure in store, haven't we, to see all this. It's going to be amazing. But, you know, this should invoke within us a holy fear, a reverence, a trembling, and a sense of awe and majesty about our living God. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him, God? And both Isaiah and Peter, when they encountered the Lord, said, Oh, Lord, go away. You know, I'm a sinful person. I can't be in your presence. This is the holiness. You know, we balance this on a pair of scales. We've got the intimate, loving, relational God who knows us better than we know ourselves, that is loving and kind always. And then there's this majestic, awesome God. And they have to be held in the right balance. We, need, we can't have one without the other. We miss out greatly if we do. John the Baptist said, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. And that was with Jesus. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't we all want wisdom? Wisdom that not is of the world, because that's rubbish wisdom. But divine, godly, holy wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. And yet this almighty, majestic God partners with ordinary people. Partners with you and me, with Esther and Peter and all sorts of people, but you and me. You might be thinking, oh, well, it's all right for some people. You know, I'm not going to be made queen like Esther. But remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you about Fred Perryman, an ordinary man whom God made extraordinary because of his belief and trust in Jesus. Fred would never have known the impact that he had on me. And he would be totally bowled over that years later, after his death, he would appear in one of my sermons. He would have never expected that in a million years. Ordinary people being used extraordinary by a God that goes on creating and creating and creating. Jeremiah 29.11, another famous verse. I have plans and purposes for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. When we put our trust in Jesus and surrender our lives to God, for him to use and direct as he wishes, we can rest assured that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And each person's path is unique to that individual. But the purpose of all of us, God's plan for each and every one of us, is to change us from one degree of glory into another. In other words, to make us more like Jesus. That's the whole point of our lives on earth. It truly is. 
Drawing our lives on earth, God is constantly shaping us to reflect his son Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Praise the Lord for that sentence. But we need and have to be willing. Esther was frightened to death. I'm not surprised. To go before the king with her request because she wasn't allowed to enter the king's presence uninvited meant death. Huge risk for Esther. And she knew the consequences if she didn't. And what did she say at the end? If I perish, I perish. You could add it on to that. May the Lord's will be done. Your will be done, not mine. Total surrender to God's plan and purposes. Perhaps God's calling on our lives will not be quite so dramatic. But are we willing to give ourselves wholly to God's care? Are we, like Esther, prepared to say, if I perish, I perish? May God's will be done. I finish with the Wesley Covenant Prayer. It's quite profound. It's just a little bit of it. So I'm going to read it and then just pause for a minute. And then I'm going to read it again. And at the end of the second reading, if you can sign up for this, then you can say Amen, out loud or in your heart. And I think I'm struggling to say amen to this, to be honest. I want to, with everything within me, I want to. So let's see. So the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticised for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. Lord, let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticised for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully Surrender all things to your glory and service. Amen.